So hello and welcome to my podcast, Conversations with David. I am your host, David Owasi. And on this podcast, we're really talking to accomplished professionals and entrepreneurs across the country. We're learning about what keeps them passionate, what keeps them going. And we're also talking about some of the lessons learned along the way. Now I'm here with someone who I have huge respect and admiration for, uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Layton Healy. Why don't you introduce yourself, Layton? Uh, hi, David. Uh, yeah, my name is Leighton Healy. Uh, I've known David for a number of years um, through some of his entrepreneurial ventures, so it's a pleasure to be here. Um, I, I live in Western Canada with my wife, Stephanie. Uh, we've been married for uh, 10 years this year, so that's a real uh, special milestone. Um, we've got a little son named John, and um, I have, yeah, from just a very young age, um, uh, pursued, I guess, what we would label entrepreneurial ventures and uh, have real passion for it, have real passion for um, uh, new venture creation and um, building and scaling um, really effective teams, um, have a real passion for, um, I would say, just the, just the business of business and um, other interests as well. But, but uh, certainly, I think for your audience, um, you know, I've walked in uh, their footsteps before, and I've been at those moments where, uh, you know, at the very outset of new ventures, and I've been during the, been in the rocky, um, you know, choppy waters, and uh, I've been at the top of the mountain, and, you know, all along the way, and so happy to be of service. Thanks, Leighton, for the introduction, and I'm super excited to have this conversation just to talk through your journey and just to share some of the wisdom you've learned through the years. And for the purpose of, of our listeners, Leighton was on one of my very first uh, executive coaches. Uh, he didn't coach me directly, but I was... Uh, privileged to be part of some of his executive sessions, which really was very key to some of my personal growth and development. Now, I just wanted to get started, uh, Leighton. When I got to know you, I, I got to know you at College Group, but of course, prior to that, you already were steep into entrepreneurship. Can you just kind of walk me through what got you interested in entrepreneurship in the, in the first place? How did you get started? I think it's a good question. So, um, you know, I grew up um, uh, in South America. Um, my parents worked internationally in Colombia and different parts of uh, kind of like Central, Amer Central America. And uh, so in terms of what kind of got me interested in entrepreneurship, you know, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's probably an opportunity to define entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I, you know, entrepreneurship takes on multiple forms. Uh, you know, there's some, uh, some contention around you know, is there a distinction between, um, say, being a business owner or starting a, let's say, a, a proven business model um, or engaging in, say, uh, some type of a side hustle? Um, and is that entrepreneurship or does entrepreneurship have really pure, you know, unique value creation, unique venture creation? Um, so, but if we were just to kind of put, put a, an umbrella over everything, David, and just say, really, you know, an individual who puts himself in a position where uh, their their income is derived from, let's say, their own independent services or their own in independent activities, um, or those of of, of, a, of a team that they oversee, and uh, ultimately, you know, they're responsible to, you know, uh, eat the risk uh, of this uh, this venture. Um, then, uh, yeah, I would say from a young age, I had several key influences. Um, probably the first one would be absolutely my 
uh, my family and the context that I grew up in. Um, you know, my parents did very important work, um, but it wasn't what I would say very uh, financially uh, well compensated work. Um, you know, my dad did work in the, the Amazon and did work in the big cities and and uh, and that work was uh, was very impactful, but it, it you know, it didn't it wasn't something that you do for the money. And so from a young age, uh, if we wanted to do something, um, you know, you would, um, you know, you'd find a way to make a buck, um, whether that was, um, you know, creating a proposition with with uh, with our dad. When I say our dad, I have a number of siblings. And so, you know, creating a proposition with my dad about, you know, a value add project around the home or something like that. And that evolved um, over the years into multiple uh, ventures, um, small ventures, you know, um, you know, you figure out, well, I'm mowing this lawn for, you know, five bucks, man, if I could get, you know, 10 other guys. Uh, and so then pretty soon you got a little lawn mowing empire and you see people handing out newspapers and you think of new efficient ways to do that and consolidate. And, uh, you know, you're maybe 13 years old, but looking back, you realize that you were, you know, trying to kind of monopolize on inefficiencies in, a, in an existing system. And so, yeah, from a very young age, David, I have memories, you know, in the moment, I wouldn't have called them entrepreneurship. In fact, it wasn't until probably my second incorporated business that I even kind of learned the term entrepreneurship. I just, I just um, probably had a knack for, for business and, um, and I just enjoyed um, uh, kind of being that, uh, that kind of um, pioneer explorer, kind of blazing a new trail, I suppose. Um, so yeah, my family played a formative role. Uh, when we uh, moved to Canada, um, my parents are originally um, farmers, two farm, two farm families from uh, central Saskatchewan from, from, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, that had a big influence, just that the culture, um, I mean, really, uh, uh, few things are more entrepreneurial, um, and risky, uh, than farming. And, uh, you know, there's a culture around it. There's a community around it. Um, there's a, you know, there's a culture of work hard, but, but, uh, but the value of family, there's a, a culture of independence, and yet, uh, and also, um, I would say kind of a, a synergistic, um, almost symbiotic relationship that you form with your neighbors. You know, there's a lot of research that was done a number of years ago about why does, you know, San Francisco, why does it kind of that Silicon Valley Bay Area work so well? And there was a book written by a gentleman um, called The Rainforest. And it's had uh, a tremendous uh, influence around the world in creating entrepreneurial hotbeds. And, uh, and one of the things that it, uh, it points out in that book is that one of the things that, that really characterized the kind of the founding, let's call it the, the roots of that Bay Area, um, was this kind of Wagons West culture, this idea that, you know, you have independent uh, family units that were motivated and were, and were excited to um, you know, uh, blaze a new trail and, and move into this kind of frontier land. And yet there was danger associated with that transit. And so they would, um, they were, they were almost obliged to, to collaborate with fellow pioneers. And, um, and, uh, 
And in many ways, that is that is that is kind of I would say almost the the let's call it the cultural foundation that contributed so much to the West of the U.S. and in fact the West of Canada. And so those those values of um, you know I would say personal responsibility, um, the confidence that comes from uh, just a, a confidence in your own uh, work ethic, uh, in your own ability to kind of bet on yourself. And, um, but then the willingness and, and frankly, the need to uh, interact and, and, and collaborate with um, others that have that same persuasion, um, that, that, uh, that culture, um, call it that farm culture, uh, that had a big influence on me and it continues to have a big influence on me. Um, you know, I've often, uh, you know, I've often uh, given a lot of thought to, you know, perhaps that would be, uh, you know, a life that uh, would, would fit well into, um, you know, my orientation, let's call it. Um, and in a different version of the future, I, I probably would have been, um, you know, on the farm, um, you know, progressing towards, you know, maybe taking over the farm. But, uh, but that wasn't for me. Um, so I had decided um, coming out of high school that, uh, you know, I had a, a sports accident. I was, I was playing um, competitive sports. I don't think I was great, but uh, I had some opportunities in one sport to pursue a scholarship and uh, had a big um, um, kind of pile up uh, in, a, in a football game and broke some stuff and had to reevaluate. And so um, one of the things that I was considering was uh, the military. I had a buddy of mine, I uh, had uh, joined the reserves and uh, the Canadian military was signing people up. And I think that idea of, you know, accomplishing something big and um, working with a team and, you know, uh, you know, just, just, you know, probably the allure of maybe even the structure was, was appealing to me at the time. And so I uh, began to pursue that. And then uh, actually a mentor of mine, and mentors have played a very large role in my life, David, um, a mentor of mine, uh, who was, I would call him a very entrepreneurial guy uh, who had had an influence on me, uh, you know, an early guy to influence my interest in real estate and commercial and residential real estate. Uh, you know, he said, you know, Layton, you're, you're, um, you're kind of a, a business guy. You're kind of a um, go-getter business guy. You should go to Calgary and start a business. And, and I had never even thought about that. So at a young age, I kind of got this idea that I was going to go out West, uh, Western Canada and, and kind of, you know, in, in, in a, in a modern way, kind of, you know, uh, hitch my trailer, my, my, my wagon and, and head West, um, further West, I suppose. Uh, and the, uh, the result was I came out here and, uh, yeah, just one successive business venture, uh, after another, um, we find ourselves on this podcast. That's awesome. That's a very robust answer to sort of almost the history of entrepreneurship in Norway, North America, mm -hmm. and your, where you and your family's history uh, plays into that. Well, later, one of the things I know that you you always talk about is that you know not all entrepreneurs are the same, and I think you you touched that in your 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 response. You, I believe there's a talk about four types of entrepreneurs as the type one, two, three, and four. Can you just kind of lay out what that looks like? and how you can recognize what type of entrepreneur you are and how th that changes how you approach entrepreneurship. Yeah, so that, I, that's something that I, I've kind of arrived at over um, working with a lot of 
entrepreneurs, you, you know, you had referenced that uh, I have had uh, a fair bit of experience. Um, I would say informally and formally coaching entrepreneurs, uh, or, or let, let's call them people that that aspire to to be in business for themselves. Let's let's say that. Um, and so, you know, individuals that kind of fit that mold. Um, you know, I've probably personally coached several hundred of them, and. Um, what I learned through that and through my own ventures and, and, um, and I, uh, I have a real passion for reading and, uh, and so, and, and just reading and, and I have a passion for listening and, uh, and learning from, I would say, and observing the decisions and the activities uh, of others. And, you know, what I, what I've observed and then, and then David, I would say that, you know, over the, over the, uh, over recent years, over the last five years or so, um, I've, I've lived the last five years very actively in the world that a lot of people probably associate with the, the glamour of uh, technology startup, you know, kind of high tech um, equity uh, raising um, San Francisco um, venture capital, um, you know, uh, pioneering machine learning technology. You know, I mean, I've, I've kind of been living in that world. Um, and so you, you just see a, a variety of what I would say would be um, different different styles of, of entrepreneurship. So here's the, here's the roots of it. The kind of the, 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 the nut of the whole matter is I've learned that um, uh, I use the analogy of a pharmacy. Um, oftentimes people think that going into business and entrepreneurship is, is just like kind of going into a pharmacy where it's kind of, you know, one drug fits all, or, you know, maybe one, you know, one, one prescription fits all, but that's really uh, a very dangerous approach. What I've learned because entrepreneurs, what they, what they deal in is their time and their energy. And, and, and it's not just their time and their energy. It's the time and energy of other families. And, you know, when you uh, decide to take on a, a personal venture, um, especially if you have responsibilities like family or, or even, even you're trying to maintain close relationships. Um, when you make a decision to expose yourself to an element of risk or to say, a, an, you know, an irregular schedule, um, a lot of people are influenced by that. A lot of people are impacted by that. And, uh, and so really the reason why I say there's different types of, of entrepreneurs, David, isn't because I've, I've read this somewhere. It's, it's that I've observed it. Uh, I've observed it in the lives of others. I've observed it in myself. Um, and really what it comes down to is that I have seen and I've experienced um, the danger and the damage of somebody who receives uh, feedback, input, advice, be it through the format of a book, be it through the format of a talk, be it through the format of a podcast, um, that doesn't, doesn't align with truly, I would say, their orientation as an entrepreneur. I'll, I'll give you a simple, simple distinction. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there are people who, who, and I would say they represent the vast majority of business owners who, you know, if they could be making enough money to um, afford a, a comfortable home, maybe a couple vehicles, perhaps uh, the opportunity to pursue a hobby, the opportunity to maybe travel uh, once or twice a year with their family, um, that would be a very rich and rewarding life. And a lot of people listening to this are like, that's what I want. Um, well, the reality is, is that you don't have to expose yourself to a tremendous amount of risk and blaze a, an entirely new trail uh, and, and break into, you know, complex food, um, you know, um, uh, systems or, or bio uh, hacking or, or space exploration. You don't need to do, do that. 
frankly, uh, you can look across the street um, at the lineups coming outside that that diner um, for for this craze that your that your community has for brunch and 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 just basically copy paste and uh, and start making money and achieve that lifestyle. Whereas there are other people who um, I know people that if they sold their business for twenty five million dollars. Uh, they would hang their head in shame because they they would just think that was such a tremendous failure. Um, and, and some people look at that, they're like, holy smokes, $25 million. And you say, well, you know, they're, they were like a billionaire bust exit oriented entrepreneur. So the reason I, I draw that distinction is because it's very common that a person will pick up a book or a person will uh, attend a, a, a talk or a person will, you know, have a coffee with an entrepreneur uh, that's a little bit further down the road from them and seek advice. And what I've learned is that in the same way that receiving the wrong prescription uh, could have really disastrous impact, um, so receiving advice that really isn't aligned to um, your style of entrepreneurship, which I think would be could almost be characterized, David, as what success or failure looks like for you, right? And so, if if person who a twenty five million dollar exit would be a failure is advising person who wants two vehicles and an opportunity to go sit on the beach twice a year with his wife. Well, the reality is, is that the, the advice uh, that this exit oriented entrepreneur would give that individual, unless they were, I would say, had really high um, awareness and they were really filtering their advice kind of in service to that person, which, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, most entrepreneurs, um, you know, they're so, um, you know, fried out on adrenaline that they, they probably don't exercise that level of, of um, you know, of, um, I would say, restraint. But, but let's assume that, that, that they don't. Well, that exit-oriented entrepreneur who's, who, who's doing what we would call big, you know, um, magnanimous, exciting things um, would propose a way forward for that entrepreneur that would expose them to activities, levels of risk, um, strategic initiatives that frankly um, would put them in a position where they might hate their business. And they might be in a terrifying situation where it so um, upsets the harmony that they're seeking in their life that uh, they just pack it in uh, and go back to kind of work in the corporate system. Similarly, if a person um, is just so oriented around changing the world um, and the advice of their peers is, hey man, you gotta take care of your, your uh, family. You gotta pay that mortgage. You know, you gotta, you gotta bring in some bacon, you know, uh, revenue day one. Well, the reality is, is that, um, you know, if someone had given that advice to, I don't know, let's just pick a token entrepreneur, um, it would have been disastrous. And some of the services that we benefit from that change our lives, like, for example, you know, I think of the founding team at Skip the Dishes, you know, a bunch of your hometown boys. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, had those guys said, hey, 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 tone it back, you know, you got to have some, you got some harmony there, you know, you got to make sure that, um, uh, you know, if you're not making revenue instantaneously, your business model um, doesn't work. And the reality is, is, is that for someone to come into them and realize that and help them understand that, that there's a need to have a significant burn on their cash reserves to be able to say, take a significant market position to be able to establish themselves, you know, edge out uh, a major competitor like uh, Uber's, you know, um, progress into, into food delivery and, uh, and execute on a very aggressive strategy. 
Um, and then eventually, you know, once you kind of like a rocket ship moving into the atmosphere, you know, you hit that massive turbulence and, you know, every movie that we've seen about rockets leaving the earth, I've never been on a rocket, but you know, it's like, they're like hanging on for dear life, camera pans to the, the joystick shaking, you know, the, for some reason there's fire outside the, the fuselage. I don't know why there is, I don't know anything about that. And then they get into, I would say space and it all calms and it all makes sense that the, 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 let's call it the, the chaos uh, makes sense. Um, and that's in a sense, you know, what Skip the Dishes experienced and, you know, and they had a tremendous um, exit opportunity to, to just eat and, and, and they continue to grow. So what I, I guess what I'm getting at is that I've observed that there's multiple kinds of entrepreneurs. And so let me just be very specific about what I've observed. And then if, if you want me to expand further, I'm, I'm happy to do so. So when you're thinking about, okay, what type of entrepreneur that am I? You know, the, the point that I've been trying to make is that you need to ask this question because it influences the type of advice that you get. It influences the way that you look at the mirror and, and, and tell yourself if you are um, doing okay or, or maybe if you need to, to, you know, take a different approach or work harder. Uh, and really what it comes down to, you know, I, I've thought about this over the years is how do you define success and failure? Um, so I categorize them, you know, they're not perfect titles, but I've, I've come to call uh, the first category, which occupies uh, the minds of, and the orientations of probably 95%, not an exact statistic, but the vast majority of people that go into business for themselves. And, and we just call them lifestyle entrepreneurs. You know, these are individuals who are building a business where um, when you think of things like, you know, the end and the means, right? So, you know, the end represents where I'm, you know, the, 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 what I'm trying to achieve and the means is how I get there. Okay. So someone who's a lifestyle entrepreneur is someone who they really want to have the end and the means at the same time. You know, I'll run this small diner. I'll run this marketing firm because I want to be able to create a lifestyle now. And, and that's for me, you know, it's that balance that really makes it worth it for me. Um, that's the vast majority of entrepreneurs um, or, or, or business owners, depending on how you want to um, title people. The second one is what I call exit-oriented entrepreneurs. This is somebody who would, would kind of start the business with the, with the, with the goal of selling it. And, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the means, meaning the sacrifices, the decisions, the, the foregone salaries, um, all of that is justified by the end. And the end is some, say, some hypothetical future exit, um, whether it's, um, you know, whether it's, I, I suppose, you know, um, uh, flipping a large apartment complex or, or in my world, it's, um, let's say, taking a business to, uh, to an acquisition to a major um, software company like, you know, uh, SAP or um, Salesforce or, or what, what have you. Um, so in that case, you know, that person has such a different orientation. Um, you know, really the business is, is, is this thing that's detached from them and they are just so focused on, on moving that thing forward. And, and, you know, there's pros and cons to, to each of these personalities. Um, you know, uh, exit oriented entrepreneurs, um, you know, probably have a healthier, um, detachment of their identity from their business, but probably more common to be sociopaths, you know? Um, and then there's what I call legacy oriented entrepreneurs. Those are individuals who 
um, are people where that you know for them success looks like this this business that they build outlives them sometimes you'll hear people say things like you know your business are like your children they shouldn't die before you do you know they'll say things like that sounds really cool like someone who has like a like a social media side hustle is like hmm yeah it makes sense but at the end of the day it makes no sense for what i would say a lifestyle entrepreneur whereas a legacy oriented entrepreneur you know it's really someone like um, I mean, it's easy to reach for, for huge examples, you know, people like Bill Gates or something like that. You know, these are individuals where they really wanted to put a dent in the universe and business was their sledgehammer. You know what I mean? Um, now, pros and cons to those people, right? On one side, um, you know, they tend to build tremendous organizations um, or they, they tend to go down with the ship, you know, and, uh, and, and sometimes those people don't get a repeat. Um, and, uh, and sometimes they don't take care of themselves because like, oh, you know, I get so much, again, the, the means in the end, the means for a legacy entrepreneur, the means like the struggle is the end. Like, it, it's like building is the payment. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and so for those types of people, sometimes they don't take care of themselves, you know, like sometimes, you know, they, they, they're so focused. They're so like fired up about what they're building um, that they don't actually give any thought and attention to, you know, you, you got to pay your bills, you know. Uh, and then there's a fourth category, which is a category. And, it, and it's something, if you were to ask me, say, four or five years ago, um, how many types of entrepreneurs, I'd probably say three. Now I say four. And the fourth is what I call con artists. You know, people who they love the buzz and the allure of the entrepreneurship community. Um, they're always super quick to, you know, uh, print a business card and be the CEO of something that doesn't do anything. Um, and, uh, and in my, my world, you know, I've seen people that um, are fantastic storytellers um, and they storytell their way into teams and they storytell their way uh, into investors' pocketbooks. And, you know, and they take a lot of resources uh, and, and they incinerate a lot of um, uh, resources that should be deferred to the previous three uh, business styles or entrepreneur styles. So, you know, what, what I would say in all of that is that the value in understanding kind of what category you fall into. And I'll be the first to say that, you know, it's not a perfect science. I mean, some people, you know, have characteristics of all three, some or all four, I should say some, um, but I, I found that people lean heavily towards one or the other. And I've, I've, I tend to, I find it effective to expose your style as you describe what success or failure looks like. And as you see some people that have, you know, almost what seems abnormal risk tolerance um, versus someone who has um, extremely high, you know, uh, or like no risk tolerance or a person where satisfaction for them um, is just, is, is a lot more attainable than someone who needs, you know, jets and private islands and, you know, and, and whatever else, right? I mean, frankly, um, I meet I meet a lot of lifestyle entrepreneurs who dream of being, you know, legacy and exit entrepreneurs at the end of their rainbows. But it's funny, I've stood at the end of the rainbow um, as or with kind of exit legacy entrepreneurs um, who sometimes, you know, wish they had just chosen a simpler way, you know? So it's, it's interesting. So I don't know if that's, if that's what you had in mind or if it's valuable, but that's what I've learned over the years.
Absolutely. I think that was just profound, just listening to the analysis on, on, on all of those. But one of the things I really picked on is really asking yourself the question, you know, what is success and failure? What, what does that look like for you? And coming from a place of self-awareness to really understand what type of entrepreneur you are. And we'll talk about your own experience at Bootkick and know how shortly, but I'm just very curious to get your take on the role of emotional intelligence, which is, you know, that self-awareness, self-regulation, and really understanding where you are to decide how you want to pursue your entrepreneurship venture. Now, you're someone who, of course, you've, I, I learned the whole idea of soft skills and to some extent emotional intelligence from you know, your training sessions what would you say is a place of those skills to any, any entrepreneur in those categories um yeah so when you know when daniel goldman probably was the first that we assigned um kind of the popularized ideas of what we now call um emotional intelligence or soft skills or things like that, um, you know, really what he was after was uh, asking the question, what, 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 you know, what is, what, what really drives um, success in, in the workplace and success in career progression. And what I recall um, faintly from, from his work, um, which I believe started as a, maybe an article in the HBR uh, and then it kind of moved into a, a book. And I, and I think he was able to build a, a real great career on it, you know, kind of like a, you know, um, yeah. So at the end of the day, um, he spent a lot of time looking at what really what really kind of defines success, particularly the workplace. And, uh, and he observed that it was that ability to, to connect um, and, and, and I would say kind of win uh, with people. And, uh, and as you know, for the time being, you know, we don't have that many um, automated, um, I would say robotic tasks in our workplaces um, for the time being, um, absolutely. I mean, the ability to win with people uh, is, a, is, a, is a clear distinguishing quality for people who aspire to have influence, who aspire to have, I would say the ability to um, oversee people and, and probably the ability to interact with um, I would call like the front end of the business, which is like, you know, the customer and the market and things like that. Um, in terms of, you know, how that uh, is, is, is required or necess necessary for entrepreneurship, you know, I, I think it really comes down to the business model, David. Um, you know, I, I currently live in the, in the software world. You know, there's a kind of a classic software startup um, tr uh, trinity uh, that people call the the hacker, the hustler, and the hipster, right? And uh, and there's actually a fair bit of merit to that. You know, a, a good founding team uh, has someone who can who can you know basically they're kind of a full stack. They can build the code. You know, someone who really you know some people think it's a creative person, which they are, but they're really more of what we call a product designer. You know, someone who understands product methodology. Uh, and if they have a marketing and design bent, fantastic. And then finally, um, you know, someone who is really that, let's call it that salesperson, that kind of visionary strategist or whatnot. Not that the others can't have vision, but um, it just tends to be kind of the mix. Um, what I would say is that, you know, to, to, to launch a venture, um, the, the, the type of person that tends to gravitate towards that hacker, that, that really, I would say, um, robust, math-based, systems-based thinking person, 
um, tends not to be someone who just, you know, exudes soft skills. And frankly, they can do pretty well in their career without soft skills um, up until a certain point where they actually decide that, you know, we want to build a team around this person. And now they have to um, actually begin to, um, you know, win with people, let's call it, or let's say accomplish things through people. Um, or they have a, a particular um, idea or, or point to make and they, and they need to communicate that in a way that isn't, you know, uh, ones and zeros, right? Not that developers code ones and zeros, but, but that's kind of what I'm saying. Um, whereas someone who's, let's call it that, that more product kind of hipster person, you know, really their role is to be um, talking to the person experiencing the pain and, and really understanding um, how they can craft a, a product or service or solution um, to address uh, those pains. And then, uh, so that individual certainly needs some soft skills. You know, that individual certainly needs to have the ability, um, you know, to listen, uh, to be able to empathize. You know, empathy is a big component. And I would say a lot of uh, companies, especially new ventures, the inability to empathize with uh, a prospective consumer base uh, it breeds, um, frankly, uh, I would say uh, it's, it's, a, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, you know, there was, um, there's a lot of tremendous literature, a lot of tremendous books, I should say, that have come out in recent years. Now that we've seen so many of these um, uh, successful tech companies um, go through some type of a liquidity event, and now um, the founders are kind of, let's say, contributing back with their blogs, their poor cat, their, their podcasts, um, you know, their hindsight 2020, you know, reflections um, on, on what worked, um, where before, you know, they were just, you know, kind of like the story of Bill Gates, they were just like, you know, eating Tang at 3am and just like coding their, their brains out, you know what I mean? But now they're at a place where, you know, they're really contributing and they're, 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 they're sharing these stories and we're learning about how, um, how easy it is to, for your ego to say, I know what you want, you know, and uh, you know what, um, you know, the reason why you're not buying my product is because you just, you just haven't spent enough time with it or you just don't understand it or, or, or because, you know, you're cheap or something like that. But, but um, I would say successful, companies and successful businesses, and, and certainly in my world, successful technology startups, um, have that person, ideally everyone does, but they have that one person who just has this, this amazing ability to listen and ask the right questions. You know, it's not that they just say, you know, uh, it would just write on this paper, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, essentially a scope for my, my software team. That's not what they're saying but they follow a methodology that really requires a lot of soft skills, a lot of ability to, to ask the types of questions with the right tone, with the right body language, to allow that person to let their guard down and, and maybe talk about the aspect of their role that they're most, um, let's say they're, um, they're most um, uncomfortable with or they're most embarrassed about. But in those areas of, of let's call it um, transparency and, and vulnerability, you know, they're, you're able to dig into probably the most um, significant opportunity to create a, a, a market changing service or product. And so that, that kind of hipster person does that. Um, and then you kind of have that hustler, you know, that person who 
I mean, the reality is, is that um, sometimes that person uh, exudes um, relationship building, you know, they have a kind of a, um, this kind of uh, exuberant personality that people just want to be part of, you know, and oftentimes those people don't even know you know, they're not really cognizant of what it is. They were just, you know, from a young age, they just knew how to talk to people. They knew how to kind of tell a story. Um, they knew how to kind of get people excited. They were comfortable, you know, standing up and saying some, you know, rousing thing. So at all of those levels, um, most people aren't very conscious, David, of the 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 need, I would say, they're not, they're, they, they might unconsciously be demonstrating different, I would say, characteristics of soft skills and, and emotional intelligence. Um, what I think really where a person makes tremendous progress in is when they, they move from that unconscious uh, to conscious, when they move to that intentional um, refinement of, uh, of their soft skills. Now, I will say, you know, I've seen people take that level of intentionality and uh, they're one person at work. They're kind of this like, super um, personable, um, thoughtful person. And then you kind of go for say dinner with them after work and they're kind of this like totally different person. You know, I think that, that, that um, uh, soft skills and, and, um, uh, and um, you know, emotional intelligence where I've seen it stick and I've seen it have a tremendous impact um, in startups uh, and, in, and in business ventures uh, is when it, it goes beyond what I would say just a notion or just a, just, a, just a tactic or just a tool in their tool belt, David. Because oftentimes the mistake that people make when they're working on themselves or working on others is that they try to modify behavior. And when you try to modify behavior, David, um, you'll only go so far. And, and when a person shifts from, you know, I would say calm and orderly activity to fight or flight, they will unconsciously return to really entrenched neural pathways. Uh, and they will, they, will, they will go back to the way that they do things uh, when they're stressed and, and really, you know, and really, um, uh, let's say, fearful or, or, or maybe they're actually quite um, angry about something or they're poorly rested. So this is what I've learned about soft skills and, and emotional intelligence that I, I think is maybe, I don't know if it's unique, but I think that it's a, maybe um, something that I didn't think about years ago when I first you know, began uh, highlighting D Daniel Goleman's um, books. And that is, is that um, a focus on modifying behavior is, uh, is really focusing on the symptoms and it's not on the root. And you really have to um, modify a person's beliefs because beliefs ultimately influence uh, what, what comes out of, out of a person. You know, there's an old proverb that says, um, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and the heart uh, in, in kind of ancient wisdom literature, um, it does, you know, it's not like there was like, you know, this, this, your, your arteries start talking, you know, I mean, that's, it's a silly, it's, you know, the, the heart was this concept, really what the heart was a concept was for that portion of, of the human mind, um, which philosophers would agree that we don't know, like, what the heck is the mind, but, you know, that portion of the mind, you know, it's not the heart, it's not the brain, it's the mind that is responsible for 
show up in the world and how we make decisions and how we receive um, inputs and, and then command outputs. And so, you know, what that proverb is saying is it's saying that, you know, when a person is, you know, at their best or their worst, what comes out of their mouth ultimately stems from beliefs. And, uh, and so if you want somebody to really have the types of emotional intelligence, the types of soft skills, David, that I think will stand up with the reality of new venture creation, which is stressful, which is malnourished, which is often poorly rested, it has to go beyond just, let's call it etiquette. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and you have to genuinely believe that, um, that the needs of others are more, at least equally important as yours. You know, that actually, you know, when people say listening with a quiet mind, um, that only makes sense, you know, if a, if a person who's listening with a quiet mind because they're looking for a promotion, I mean, that, that actually, I would say, is, is probably just as bad of a motivation as it is just barking your, 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 your ideas across the room and not listening to anybody. But, if, but, a, but a person who listens with a quiet mind because they genuinely believe that that person across from them is valuable and they have worth. And, um, you know, if they're in that room, it's obviously because they uh, did a lot of things uh, to get them there. And, uh, and the ability to listen, and as you're listening, when you start to feel those beliefs boil up that, you know, I need to be heard here, that a person, you know, I think a person that really has a handle on what I would almost call sustainable um, soft skills is someone who looks across and, and kind of in their mind says, just wait, this person, is, this person matters. Um, so absolutely, I mean, a person that has what I would call weaponized soft skills, <laughs> you know, um, can go far in life. Um, I would say bit of a phony. Um, I'd question their, their intentions. But a person who has really done the tough work of looking at some of the beliefs that influence the behaviors that, uh, that manifest um, in their life and, and in their conduct, and they, they say, you know what, maybe, um, maybe a, a life of selfishness, um, uh, it's not about, you know, is it, a, is it a recipe for success? Maybe it's actually, um, maybe that's actually, maybe that's not the right way to live, right? And so when that begins to influence your beliefs and, and it really changes what you, um, what, you know, how you believe and how you think, I mean, that really waterfalls down into what you say and what you do um, and how you receive, you know, inputs. Um, and I think that has a lot of influence on entrepreneurs. And sometimes it's hard to kind of, you know, drill that into the mind of a aspiring young um, pioneer, um, you know, who, uh, let's say, you know, you know, grew up and there wasn't always something in the cupboards and they really just do not want to, you know, have that experience again. Um, I, I respect that. Um, but over time, especially as you begin to become more responsible for people, as your decisions impact, um, you know, a service or product that um, maybe your clients uh, really rely on, um, I think that, uh, you know, you've got to dig a little deeper.
Certainly. And I definitely, uh, yeah, that's such a profound uh, perspective, not just on, on emotional intelligence and soft skills helping you, but also just digging through and understanding the core motivation of why you're using those skills. Well, uh, time is gone here, but just one last question before I let you go. We've not talked about your experience with Bookkeek and Know How and just the whole world of venture creation. You've been in that world for the last five or so years. What would you say has been sort of your learnings or the experience for the last five years in this world you've been in? Yeah, no. Uh, so, so today, um, I uh, I lead a, a software company called Manifest Labs. Um, we've got, um, you know, we've had a few products in the market. Um, the two that you referred to, one Bootkick, uh, is a was a consumer prop, uh, consumer platform. You know, we would kind of position it between kind of between YouTube and, and Pinterest. Uh, it was a tool in which um, people, largely um, thought leaders, uh, could. Um, provide their their audiences or their their listeners or their readers with step-by-step um, -step action that would then kind of uh, um, move into a, almost like a CRM uh, to be able to really monitor you know monitor their impact but also identify um, prospective clients and you know, prospective customers um, that product um, really for a variety of reasons uh, uh, just did not uh, does not make it and so we've um, kind of shelve that product. Uh, we'll we'll um, come back to it perhaps at another time. Um, you know, achieve some great uh, milestones with that product, some awards. Um, you know, uh, we're you know we're able to raise capital for that. Um, but uh, really, the the greatest thing that Bootkick did is it allowed us to identify um, the opportunity to build uh, a new product called Know How. And so know-how is, uh, is our primary focus today. Um, you know, we are working with um, uh, some amazing customers. Um, our customers are US-based, um, professional blue collar um, service companies uh, that are really trying to uh, tackle very complicated work in a very complex, heavily regulated environment that's, um, that uh, requires um, enormous, um, uh, oversight uh, as work is largely completed through insurance claims. Um, and so the ability to uh, complete work efficiently um, uh, across workforces that often um, maybe don't have long tenures. Uh, and so there's often a need to retrain on remote locations um, with dispersed um, staff uh, where they, where, you know, the majority of our clients uh, have multilingual workforces where you know, maybe you know, they can hear an instruction uh, in, in English, but the reality is if they're gonna read a standard or a, or a workflow or, or understand, let's say clear, clear instruction, if they have to read it, you know, definitely strong preference for, for their native language. And so within that complexity, um, we've built a, a tremendous tool that, uh, that really goes after the heart of, of some pain that we identified um, through 300 hours of interviewing, um, you know, directors of operations in a multitude of companies. And, uh, and we have a real passion and a real philosophy around, um, you know, building product that, uh, that, that, is, that is reflective of the pains that our clients uh, wish they didn't have to deal with in their lives. Um, you have a fantastic team. Uh, we're, we're, a, we're a lean team right now. Uh, my co-founder, Travis, uh, we've been uh, shoulder to shoulder for the last five years through several products. Um, we have a brilliant 
um, VP of engineering, a fantastic person leads our, uh, our customer success. We've got a great team of advisors. Um, we have some uh, wonderful uh, investors. And, and, uh, and so in terms of your question, like what are some of the things I've learned? Um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things, you know, I would put them in the bucket of, you know, self-learning and, and business learning. Um, I would say I've learned, you know, just as much or more uh, in the last, you know, five years than all my business experiences. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's one thing to convince yourself that you have a great business opportunity. It's another thing to say, I don't know, pitch your business to a hundred investment funds you know, and have brilliant, smart people that see a dozen deals a day, um, see what you don't see, right? And then find those, those few that see what you see. And uh, in, in, in the ability, you know, the, the excitement when, when the marriage of the right stakeholders come together and, uh, and you, you move forward and, and you, you know, you try to put a, as they say, a, a dent in the universe, right? So, yeah, so today um, uh, we, we have a growing base of primarily US-based customers. Um, we are what you call a software as a service. Uh, we service uh, what we call kind of a business-to-business -business enterprise um, community. Um, now that we have what we would say is our core product in the market, um, which is uh, in many ways, it's kind of the, the future of how companies can move uh, how-to knowledge is not knowledge and processes and procedures and workflows and, and really kind of, you know, serve as that, that single source of truth for all of your staff's uh, questions across all the departments of your company. You know, now that we have that, um, we would call it that like transformational, um, really solid tool. Uh, that forms the core of our product. And now we're beginning to build out um, really amazing features uh, that draw on the, 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 that, that knowledge base uh, with the center of a business um, uh, that are yeah, transforming other areas uh, of, of their businesses through, you know, uh, and a lot of those features are, are, are enabled through, yeah, really cutting edge technology like machine learning and artificial intelligence. Um, but ultimately, our clients, they don't care about terms like that. What they care about is, um, you know, how is this going to help me make, uh, you know, maintain more margin? How is this going to help me get more capacity out of my managers? You know, how is this going to help me, um, frankly, go home and, and have some peace with my spouse and kids and, and not have my phone blowing up because I'm the only person who knows how to do anything? You know, that's, that's really what we're passionate about is how do we how do we go after some of those, those priorities for our clients? And uh, we're fortunate that um, a rising cohort of, of them are, uh, are uh, seeing uh, our sincere desire to, to solve those problems and, uh, and they're coming on board. And so um, in the coming months, uh, you know, we'll need to scale quite uh, rapidly to, to meet the, the, the growing demand. Um, you know, there's, there's something that businesses experience. Um, there's a quote from a, a popular coach who says, you know, um, there's a difference between just like angst, like anxiety and pressure. You know, pressure is, is really, and I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's, it's the product of just hard work and discipline. And he uses it to, to kind of describe the feeling that, that a team experiences when they're, say, like they're in the NBA finals. You know, they're feeling pressure. And, and, and he reminds them to say, look, don't forget that pressure is a gift. 
Um, and, uh, and so we, we are experiencing pressure, <laughs> which is, it's a tremendous gift. Um, and uh, sometimes it can be confused with, you know, stress and anxiety, but in reality, um, like that uh, capsule that's, you know, careening into space, um, you know, we're just trying to hold steady on that joystick. And, um, you know, we put a lot of faith in, you know, the, the design and the, and, the, and the philosophy and the strategy that built this business. And uh, we got a good crew. Um, and, uh, you know, you're always worried about, do you have enough fuel in the tanks? <laughs> but, um, but that's where we're at. That's exciting. And maybe uh, on future conversations, if we have you on the show, uh, we'll talk more about that. But the last question I have before I let you go is any words of advice? And the reason why I ask that is when the pandemic, many entrepreneurs has been affected in different ways. Any sort of last word of wisdom or advice for entrepreneurs like that? Um, sure. Well, what I would say is that if a person is uh, let's just talk to those people who are maybe thinking about, should I, you know, go into business for myself? And, and what I would encourage them to do is don't get wrapped up in so much of this buzz and there's so much of this activity. It's sometimes what I call the cult of entrepreneurship. Um, really what you want to find out if you want to be in business for yourself is, is not, you know, can I form an idea? Can I build a pitch deck? Can I, you know, attend all these yada, yada events? Like, you know, all of that is, I think of it, in the difference between dating and marriage, right? You know, dating, don't get me wrong. I love my wife and we have a wonderful marriage um, and I can't imagine my life without her. But, you know, when we were dating, you know, everything was new and it was exciting and it was, you know, you know what I'm saying? There's this, there's this just mix of emotions. And, um, but at the end of the day, when you're married, you look back and you're like, ah, I was such an idiot, you know, like, I, you know, I didn't know anything, you know, I didn't know anything about loyalty. I didn't know anything about love. I didn't know anything about, you know, you just, you learn over the years. Um, um, but at the end of the day, so much of what I think is kind of the buzz of entrepreneurship is just this infatuation with the dating stage. You know what I mean? Um, you know, the pitch, the, 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 the clothes, the, 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 the deck, the, the, the low, and those things matter. But really, when you actually build a business and, you, and, you know, and every two weeks payroll comes due and, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and you've got stakeholders and you've got customers that rely on you and um, you've got landlords that don't care what your pitch deck looks like. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, what really comes down to is, is do you enjoy the, 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 the feeling of, of your actions and decisions, your uh, the product of your time is how you generate your money, is how you make your bacon, right? And, and so I often encourage people, there was an activity that I, I'm sure that I was influenced somehow uh, by some external resource that I read run up, but I, I've just put it on paper and I call it the, the entrepreneur test. And, and all it is, is it involves four steps, David. And the goal of it is how can I accelerate a person who's exploring business for themselves to get them to that place where they basically experience a transaction. And, uh, and so what it looks like is this one is don't overthink it. Just text 10 of your friends and say, Hey, when you think of me and you think about something that you would ask me for help with, what would that be? And your friends might come back to you with, with some crazy things like, honestly, man, you're, you're, you're great with, 
Oh, you're always there to help me change my tires or whatever. Right. Or, you know what, you're always there. Um, you know, you're such a great this or you're, or some people might get back to me like, uh, dude, I can't think of anything. <laughs> That's a different problem. Right. But at the end of the day, they're going to identify, you're going to see a pattern where it's like, okay, well, that's not exactly what I was hoping they would say, but it seems like everybody thinks that I'm really good at like playing guitar. And so what, what you want to do is just make the ugliest, you know, say I only have 10 minutes. It was the ugliest ad you could possibly think of, right? With those little rippy tabs and put it out somewhere and, and say, hey, um, you know, guitar lessons, $10, you know, or whatever, right? It doesn't matter what the price is. Don't try to make a buck, but just... It's, you know, the, the second step is build a little advertisement. The third step is deliver the service, even if it's ugly, you know, and try to do this within like a week. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't overcomplicate it. This isn't going to be the venture you build. And then the fourth thing is when you're done, ask for the money, right? And you say, that will be $10, please. And, uh, and a person will pull out their change or whatever, and they'll give you your $10. And they'll walk away and, and, and you'll maybe ask them, so, you know, hey, what was your experience like? Or thank you for your business. And, and, and in that moment, when you have that private moment, David, after that little strange transaction, you know, um, you'll have a moment by yourself to think. And, and, and again, the, what I can describe it is, is that do you feel dirty um, or do you feel alive, you know? And I think business owners um, really say, man, I, I provided a value service. I did a good job. They were happy. They saw value enough to exchange some type of you know, currency. And, and, and now the fruit of my labor has put this money in my pocket. Um, you know, and, and, and the, the ability to just experience that quickly in many ways, I'm not saying that's all of business, but so much of business is that ability to realize that now you are the one sending the bill, sending the invoice. And, um, and I meet so many people that love coaching or love baking or whatnot. And when you look at their accounts receivable, it's out of control. And they forget that, um, you know, being in business is, um, is sending a bill, you know what I mean? So I don't know if that's if that if that is what you had in mind, but yeah, um, that is totally advice. Totally makes sense. Love it. Um, it's been such a huge pleasure and honor having you on the show. I know you uh, you have a hard stop here. Thanks again for your time. I'm hopeful we can do this uh, again sometime. But thanks for all your wisdom. Hey, thanks, David. Real pleasure, and and uh, best of luck to you and your listeners. Absolutely.